This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone. Today we are discussing album number 43. An album that we have been anticipating for, well, pretty much since day one. Uh, that album is Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. <laughs> I can't believe it took us so long to get to this album. Not that we were slow, just I can't believe that it's number 43, but we'll get to right. that. And I'm really excited to finally talk about this album. It's one of my favorites. And we have a very special guest with us today. This person is a friend of both of ours. We All three of us grew up together, shared a lot of the same uh, experiences growing up and musical experiences. We are so happy to have our good friend Steve Burkholder with us today. Welcome, Steve. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. This is going to be uh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, even just as we're chatting, as we kind of set up our equipment and got ready to go, it's just feels very comfortable. The three of us to be talking together. So this is going to be, I think, a lot of fun and and hopefully a lot of memories. Um, Steve, you don't have to give us our your life story right now, but what? Uh, how would you introduce yourself today? What What would you say if someone says, uh, "Who are you?" Hmm. Wow. Uh, well, today uh, I am a uh, a husband and a father of three three wonderful sons. Um, I live in a wonderful town. I have a wonderful job, um, and I'm a farmer. And, uh, so I, you know, I, uh, you know, an everyday man, I guess, um, pretty nondescript, not, not real extravagant lifestyle. Um, I, uh, it's interesting when I was sort of thinking about this podcast and listening to this album again, um, I feel like, you know, in the last few years, I probably because I'm, you know, more of a family man, man now, uh, there just hasn't been as much time for you know my passion for music as as yeah. you know when we were younger i was certainly I, you know just way more more passionate about it not that i'm not passionate now but uh you know circumstances change and i just have I kind of gotten away from it a bit but it, i've really enjoyed kind of getting back into this now um it's kind of reignited some of my passion uh for this music and uh, I, you know, it was an exciting uh, thing to think about and prepare for here. And I'm actually, uh, yeah, I'm honored to be on. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we should uh, make a disclaimer that we we all chose each other to be in our in our wedding parties 
so like we're the (laughs) (laughs) we are the common link there were other people involved but not in each other's weddings in the same way uh so i i don't know i think that says something about the importance of the two of you in my life and i think i feel uh that still today um and and i think you're right steve there there are a number of memories in my head about uh you know back in sort of high school days going into one of your houses to like pick you up for something or meet up for something and the music was like so loud that you didn't even notice <laughs> someone coming into the room yeah. or or maybe you had yeah. headphones on and were playing the bass or something like that and you know music was uh oh, just yeah. all it it shaped our lives whatever we were doing whether it was uh you know singing songs in the cornfield or uh you know music on the stereo as we were driving places or going to see bands or you know it was it was the fabric of our lives and how we kind of define um every moment so it it feels really fitting and and just like with pink floyd being all the way down this far it really has taken us too long to have you on as a guest so uh, an album that should be higher maybe and a a guest that should be higher too so uh it seems fitting to have (laughs) you share it for sure 43 yeah (laughs) Uh, uh, yes thank you thank you again (laughs) thank you for the opportunity to talk about this this is going to be fun you bet so we'd like to we'd like to start with you know some of our memories. I think uh, Ben, I'd like to start with you. I guess the, the first question I asked Ben: Have you heard this album before? Had you listened to this album start to finish before we started this, or had you only heard bits and pieces before? Where's your starting point for this? Uh, this is an album that uh, I'm having a hard time placing because uh, <clears throat> in uh, you know recent months I have listened to this album to make sure that it was one that I had heard from beginning to end and everything on it was familiar. So I'm sure, okay. I I'm sure that, uh, that this is something I had consumed entirely. When I think about, uh, sort of early memories of, of this album, I think what I'm drawn to is the album art and seeing it, um, Hmm. sort of, uh, blend in with the landscape of, of high school and college, you know, because it was, um, whether it was on a t-shirt or a poster, I think this symbol, this album appearance has just become part of the fabric of, of culture. And so even if you don't necessarily know Pink Floyd or know even the album title as Dark Side, I think most people would, would see this image and think, oh yeah, I've seen that before. Um, yeah. And in an, in a really fascinating way, uh, you know, this has just become a part of culture, and uh, and and I think that is part of the reason that I have a hard time figuring out where exactly I would have been introduced to it, um, because it's not something that I own or have have consumed a whole lot of, uh, I, but it but it's also just always kind of been there. Uh, yeah, you've you've been constantly uh, um, barraged with with yeah yeah it, yeah exactly. It's always been yeah. there. It, it's it's timeless. I was just going to say, I think that places me somewhat outside of where you guys are. I, I, uh, I'm familiar with it, but I'm not a fan in the same way that, that the two of you are. So I, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to this conversation because I know there will be things tonight that I learn about this music and the way that you love it in, in a, a sense that I haven't necessarily gone down that pathway before. Okay. So, so Ben, just just out of curiosity, 
um, and maybe the difficult question to answer, but but why is it do you think that you don't love it the way that Mike and I do? I think a good parallel to this is the album that we just recently discussed, the self-titled Doors uh, debut album, um, an album that I right. really, really appreciate and can see its greatness and, uh, you know, has many familiar songs that I've heard throughout the majority of my life. But for some reason, I haven't been drawn into that music, that music sound specifically, mm. um, right. in a way that I have for some other bands. And so, um, right. I just, yeah, I, it just hasn't uh, wrapped me up to the point where I've thought, oh man, I, I gotta buy this. Um, and I can't right. quite put my finger on it, but I, I'll, I'll try and share some of those thoughts as we go along here tonight. Yeah, um, yeah. No, that's, maybe, that's good. Maybe no, that's, asking, that's fair. That's a fair maybe asking the flip side of that to you all, um, as a way to segue, you know, what has it been for you all? Can you remember early moments and, and what sort of pulled you into more of a fandom uh, than just uh, appreciation from a distance like where I am? Uh, my first memory of this music is uh, actually from Steve. I remember Steve introducing me to the song Us and Them. Uh, he may have even been playing it on guitar or sh- or showed us that, that riff. Um, and that was the first time, and we've talked about before, Ben, you, you hear songs on the radio but don't necessarily know uh, what album they're from or even yeah. who who they're by necessarily when you're just listening to a lot of music throughout the day or when you're out uh, you're at work or or driving around uh, certainly in different work environments where you might not hear the announcement of the song title and the band so i had heard i i knew that i had i was familiar with another brick in the wall but i didn't really know pink floyd steve pointed out us and them to me and then whether whether it was steve or me doing research on my own discovered that it was from a specific album called dark side of the moon and then i started downloading that music um and listening to it and really really enjoying it and then another friend of ours um that we worked with uh, a guy named mike terman i remember we were driving home one day and someone had bought a release that had just come out pink floyd's greatest hits called echoes and i had got it some other people had got it and i was still learning about pink floyd i didn't have any of their albums i was enjoying echoes and all the different songs and we were listening on the way home and mike said uh this is good but i really prefer to listen to pink floyd only as individual albums i don't like to listen to it as a compilation of their songs I like to listen to it one album at a time. We kind of laughed at him at first because it sounded like, oh, that's ridiculous. And then I adopted the same practice. Like, <laughs> I really enjoy listening to what Pink Floyd has selected on each album because those songs fit together so well. And they don't necessarily fit with songs from other eras of their, uh, of their discography, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you listen to early Sid, uh, Sid Barrett Floyd with you know later Floyd you know, from the Wall or or the Final Cut, like it, it sounds like a totally different band. There's, oh, there's yeah. hardly anything cohesive about it. So that got me kind of thinking more about Pink Floyd and their albums. And then I think it was probably around 2003 or 2004. I, Steve, I think you were with me, mm-hmm. and maybe another friend. And we were at. Uh, uh, there was a franchise there's a couple left 
of used CD stores called Deja Vu Discs. And there was one on uh, Highway 7 in Markham. And I know I went there and picked up a copy of uh, Dark Side of the Moon on CD. I think it was 30th. I think it was 30th. 30th anniversary. Yeah. 2000. Yeah, 2003. That's right. So what? it must have been 2003 or 2004. I picked up a copy in there. We're doing the math. <laughs> um, and that, that's, when I, that's when I got the album. And since, since then, I've gotten most of their, well, at least all of their 70s albums. I don't have all their 60s albums and some of the stuff after uh, the 80s when the band had kind of broken up and with different versions of the band. Um, but it's still my favorite Pink Floyd album. It's the one I listen to the most. And I just love uh, every aspect of it. And it's one that when I come back to, I'm, I'm never bored and I'm always amazed at how much I still enjoy it, even after hearing it dozens mm-hmm. of times. Um, mm-hmm. So that leads me to my question to you, Steve, is uh, do you remember when you first heard either a song from the album or the album in yeah. its entirety? And, I, and I'll couple this with another question you can answer separately or together. Um, I know you have a copy of this on vinyl, and I'm wondering if that's where this came from. Uh, if you first listened to it from that vinyl copy you have, and, and where that came from, because that that yeah. probably wouldn't have been the kind of music that you know you had in your household. Yeah, because uh, I kind of know your a bit of you know your upbringing and the, the music that your family would have listened to. This really wouldn't have fit into. Yeah, no, my dad wouldn't be into Pink Pink Floyd, for sure. No, Um, so so take us on on that journey, if you can remember some of your first memories. Yeah, yeah, Uh, and and certainly my memory, um, as my wife can attest to, is not very good, but (laughs) I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, what what was the genesis of, uh, that's not meant to be a reference to Genesis, what was the genesis of That's a different uh, band. Well, that's another discussion. But (laughs) where did where did my passion for Pink Floyd start? When did it start? I mean, okay, when I think back to when I was, uh, I'm going to say it was probably when I was a teenager, so like you know, late '90s kind of thing. And and what I would do at night, I would fall asleep to um, Q107. They had their top ten at ten. Okay, Um, yeah, remember that. But yep. that was that was like my go-to. I would listen to that every night uh, when I was in bed, getting ready to go to sleep. And now, I don't know. You know, I, I'm sure at some point, money would have been on there. Uh, probably us and them. Those were the two singles from Dark Side. But but just Pink Floyd in general. You know, what are the classics? The, well, another Brick in the Wall Part Two. You already said that, Mike. There would have been Comfortably Numb. Uh, a couple others from the Wall, probably. These are the sort of the most popular, um, you know, the popular Pink Floyd songs at the time. Um, that's what I probably would have heard. I- I'm going to guess that it was from those Q107 days when I was, you know, sort of 15, 16 years old. Yeah. And I would have heard those. And uh, I maybe would have, and I don't know when Deja Vu Discs uh, started, but that's probably where I, you know, I started picking up all of my cds i think i got yeah. most of my cds from them uh hmv certainly you know to go to the mall and what, what were the stores at the time hmv is the one i can think of i'm sure there were a few others mm-hmm. um and i just i just be looking for pink floyd right um <laughs> yeah. whether it was yeah whatever like i mean um i actually don't have all of their albums um 
I, I kind of, Mike, with you, you know, I wasn't really interested in the early years, the Sid Barrett years, uh, you know, say what you want about that. Um, but uh, certainly the the stuff they produced in the 70s, I, you know, I, I was all over that stuff. Um, just the, probably what drew me to them is, is just, they just have such a unique sound. It is, it's what, it's what draws me to all of those bands that I'm, I'm a big fan of in those years. You know, while well, Genesis is one, you know, somebody like Yes, um, uh, Zeppelin, of course, you know, these are, these are the pioneers of, of rock and uh, uh, not just rock and roll, but of, of, you know, I was, I was, I think of the prog rock, right? Um, yeah. These are bands that they were doing things that were kind of outside the norm, right? You know, not that it wasn't, uh, obviously it, it was very, uh, you know, it was very widely accepted, like, um, and received some of these albums that these bands were doing. Not, not everything, you know, like, most people are, are listening to, you know, the radio edits, right? They're listening for the singles. Yeah. I'm listening for those. I'm listening for those really, really interesting, long instrumental songs. You know, the, the ones that, that are, are five parts, you know, like on, like Shine On You Crazy Diamond, right? From Wish You Were Here, which I think was the next album after Dark Side. Um, I, that's what I love. Like, in fact, I'm not even sure Dark Side is my favorite Pink Floyd album. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, there, you know, you know, like, <laughs> um, I'd, I'd have to really, I'd, I'd really have to think about that because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan, like I say, of those those longer, um, epic songs, like with with so much instrumental. Because at 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 the heart, I am I am just a fan of very well thought out music. Um, um, you know melodies. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm kind of a music geek, right? I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening to every element that goes into a song. Uh, not so much the lyrics. I'm, I'm not really listening to the lyrics per se. Like I, I'm listening in in that. You know, I want to hear the melody and and I want it to be a rhythm. You know what I mean? But I I'm I'm listening to all the different elements that go into a song, and I'm listening intently and and oh man like dark side has has so much to offer in terms of of musical elements right through right um like yeah well listen to me i'm getting i'm getting worked up (laughs) so you know okay to answer the question yeah i guess it's probably the late 90s uh if i had to guess is when i really started getting in getting into it you know when i had my own clock radio beside my bed and I yeah. could listen to music on the radio. That's what I was listening to, right? That's what okay. Q107 was playing at the time. Um, and that's what probably got me started. Yeah, as for that vinyl copy that I've got, that does go back to those days. Um, but I don't think I actually probably listened to that until a few years later. And I thought, hey, I came across this. I don't even know where I got it. I, like, it just showed up, I guess. And... <laughs> I threw it on my my parents' record player. I was like, "Wow, this is this is intense." Steve, you have two older brothers. Um, Pink Floyd was not something they passed down to you. This was something that you sort of discovered <laughs> of your own intuition, right? Yeah, no, I, I, um, yeah, I, I would say so. Like, I mean, they were, uh, boy, certainly not 
Phil, which you guys had on for U2's The Joshua Tree. Yeah. He was, you know, he's not really a Pink Floyd guy. Maybe my oldest brother, Ed, he would have been more into that at the time. It's possible there was some influence there from him. Uh, and I just, like I say, I don't remember that vividly. So, yeah, no. he might have had he might have had something to do with it too. Um, I, I won't discount that, but uh, I I mean, I think for the most part it was my own discovering, yeah. uh, just from listening to the radio, and, yeah. and kind of going from there. Well, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I think uh, Pink Floyd does seem to have an almost um, polarizing kind of effect on people you either seem to love them or or aren't sure what to do with them um it's interesting that you mentioned phil as not being a fan because as a past guest we reached out to him to see if he had any thoughts and his response was yeah i can probably offer some kind of perspective and and then he says i google it and i was like huh i know absolutely nothing about this album sorry guys <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know like he yeah. he's a year he's a year older than mike and i and two years older than you uh you know yeah. we're all growing up at the same time i'm sort of in the middle kind of indifferent he has nothing and you guys sort of fall in love yeah. so uh it's it's yeah. just really fascinating it doesn't seem and and also we're talking about an album that was not um, released in our lifetime either so yeah not, Unlike something, yeah. that, unlike something that was coming out, you know, as we were teenagers in the '90s, um, this is music that had been lingering, sort of out there in in the radio ether, especially on classic radio, classic rock radio, I guess. Um, but yeah. but yeah, it's not it's not for everyone, and and that's okay, um, despite it being yeah. you know one of the best selling albums of all time. Yeah, I mean, I think I think, uh, and maybe you guys have thoughts. I'm sure you do about this too, but. I think, you know, uh, groups like Pink Floyd and, you know, like, like the other prog rock groups like Genesis and Yes that I was talking about, I'm, I know there's lots of others too, but they, they offer you a, um, it's, a, it's, it's a specific sound and, and it doesn't appeal to everybody by, right. by any means. You know, people are wired a certain way. Certain right. things will appeal to them, you know, uh, to, their, to their ears, they, what they want to hear. And they might not even be able to explain it. And maybe I can't even explain it, right? Like I, yeah. Yeah. it just appeals to me. It doesn't appeal to everybody, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. that sound that it can be very complicated. Yeah. Um, and and can, I can totally get that it can be off-putting for some people, especially what I was talking about earlier. Some of those longer instrumental tracks that, that don't really get radio play, the ones that I, you know, I thrive off of. Other people are like, "Come on, this is this is boring." I, you know, I don't, I don't need this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I think we're getting to um, you know the crux of so much of these conversations is that music is emotional. Um, it's not it's not a logical conversation that we're having here, <laughs> where we can say, "Okay, mm, one right. plus one yeah. equals equals two, and so this is good and this is bad." Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This is the way that we experience something and the way that we feel in that experience. Uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned exactly. the longer songs. I, I kind of have a standing uh, <laughs> uh, philosophy here as we go through these albums that if a song gets over five minutes, it's sort of a waste of space on the album. And, you know, for you, Ooh. that's the stuff that you are really drawn to, right? <laughs> oh, man, uh, we might need to end right here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, and I, we'll get into that a little bit more later. I'm sure as we go through some of the specifics of the songs, but like, you know, we're, we're two people who can appreciate 
this as greatness and yet be drawn to the greatness for very different kinds of reasons. Um, even in the midst sure, of, sure. of lifting something up is excellent. Uh, so you must have really struggled with Light My Fire by the Doors. <laughs> like seven minutes long. Yeah. Or do you just turn it off after five minutes? <laughs> I, oh, this is getting dangerous. If you, if you did, don't, don't. Thoughts about this, uh, this album, but <laughs> I, don't I, admit I, to I it if you did. Oh, times, like, I'd be more content with a radio edit on all these songs. <laughs> oh. Oh. I know, com- completely oh. sacrilegious for, uh, for me to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, Mike and I were, we listened to the album the other night and I, we were talking about it and, and the, the, uh, the topic of radio edits came up mm-hmm. and oh boy. I told Mike that honestly, some radio edits when they come on and, you know, sometimes you get, for whatever reason, you know, whatever station might actually play the non-edited version of it. And then I'm like, yeah. score this is amazing. <laughs> I can't believe they're playing the, the unedited version, the full length. But majority of the time, it's the radio edit. As soon as you get to the part that they've edited out, I'm like, you've lost me. And I turn the radio off, honestly. <laughs> Sorry. There, there, was a, there, was a, there was a fire in Steve's eyes when he was talking to me about this. Just yeah. uh, an, an intense anger. No, really. Like I honestly want to boycott that radio station. <laughs> <laughs> when they do radio beat it out I mean so there's a song on here uh, the last track of the first side the great gig in the, su- in the sky has about a two minute oh, so uh, wavery voice over just two chords progressing back and forth um, I oh, think yeah. it, in my uh, uh, listening to it over the last couple weeks really intensely there were times where I would feel myself think like Man, they need a better editor who who should have just cut that out. Like, uh. there's no need for that kind of like. Uh, and, and then there are other times where I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing. They're not going for a hook here. They're they're trying to capture an emotion. This is music to be savored, and to and oh. to actually linger in, um, rather than just to go on to the the refrain or the chorus or the thing that that brings you back around again. Uh, it's a totally different way of right. of creating music, and it's. It, it leans to me at least like a jazz record um, in the way that mm. they're constructing songs here. It, this would be a failure if they were going purely on radio edit kinds of things, right? Like there are some good radio hits here, but it's not because they are like a traditional radio hit. <laughs> um, no, no. And, no. And, and so, I yeah, if that's, measuring, measuring, yeah, if that's the measuring stick, then you're going to be lost like right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm going to edit out the first thing you said, Ben, and just leave the second thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's Ooh, part of I think that's part of the beer. struggle that, that lots of people have, not just myself, that that Pink Floyd requires something of you that most pop music does not. Um, okay, oh, yeah, so for sure. It requires you to engage it in a different kind of way. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but so maybe if I can interject here, then saying that if you're if you're saying a lot of people uh, require it to be a certain way, wh- why is this album, you know, one of the best selling albums of all time? Well, that yeah, I think I'm hoping you two answer that for me tonight. Oh, oh, <laughs> <great>. <laughs> yeah. give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, is, 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 it, is it like a case of people don't 
realize that they're they actually do like the music the way it is and they're <laughs> not just interested in you know radio hits or or what what is it i mean i have a bunch of theories but i think we'll save those for the end yeah we can come back to this i think uh i'll just make one comment before we move on and and i think there is that combination of hooks and radio singles on this album combined with uh some of those long more experimental and progressive sounds so that's mm-hmm. you know, i think i think there's a little bit for there's for a good two. balance yeah there yeah are. there's a balance of different ways of listening to music and different uh ways of experiencing it so that mm-hmm. we'll come back to that we can we yeah. can hash that out a little bit later um i think we've alluded to this a few times of how successful this album was and what a market's made on history. So I'd like to just go through some of these details uh, first, and then we'll get back into some of our feelings on different tracks and the feel of the album. So uh, let's do some details. Details, 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 details. This album was released uh, March 1st, 1973. Uh, This was Pink Floyd's eighth studio album. And I didn't even really realize that I knew of a few of their sixties albums, but they, they had quite it a few. Like a lot, it seems like a high number, doesn't it? I, I had to look it up. Cause I, I, I didn't believe it, but, but yeah. they did, they did a couple, um, in 71, they did metal. And I thought that was what came before this, but in 72, they did obscured by clouds, which was a soundtrack to a French movie. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was a studio album and they mm-hmm. did, uh, they did a, a number of, albums in the seven uh, six they were working on that while they were working on dark side too weren't they i think i think you're right steve because um uh, this album was recorded uh, at the famous abbey road studios from Mm -hmm. june 72 to january 73 so yeah eight months um being recorded and mixed and edited so yeah they were probably doing all that together um it was written by uh, different combinations of the members of the band. This is, we've talked about that some, like the Doors, for example, on their debut, every song is, except for the two covers, are credited to the Doors. This one, and you can start to see some of the uh, personalities and some of the conflict and some of the mm-hmm. kind of possessiveness of different people because every song is credited to, you know, a different combination of people. Everybody wants their name. You know, I'm I'm reading into it a bit, but but we know that there was a lot of big personalities and a lot of conflict in this band throughout the years. So, so each band, each, sorry, each, uh, each song is credited to, you know, different people. The name that comes up the most is Roger Waters. And I, uh, he is, um, not on the album itself, but on other literature credited as the primary lyricist for this album. And he, uh, I think members of the band would agree that he is the, uh, the vision behind the kind of concept of this album. Yeah. Uh, this was his baby. It was his idea. All the themes, the the lyrical themes, um, and many of the musical themes uh, are by Roger Waters. Certainly the last two tracks and some of the others um, are credited just to Roger Waters. So yeah. as much as they all have credits here, uh, he really is the, the brainchild behind this thing. Um, I'm sure David Gilmore would probably fight me if he heard me hmm. say that, but... Uh, but I think it's uh, accepted that this is uh, Roger Waters' kind yeah. of album. Yeah. Um, 
it was very successful when it was released initially, and this has been released about four different times, I will add. Um, but it, on its initial release, it went number one in the U.S., number two uh, in the U.K., and I was very interested as to why this only went to number two in the U.K. What else came out there? And I looked it up, and the number one album the week that this climbed up to number two was called Flashback to the 60s, 20 Hits. <laughs> it was a compilation album that beat this out. And in the in the in the the weeks that followed, this album started to slip down, and some other very famous albums uh, were released at that time, like Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin, David Bowie's Aladdin Sane, which sat at number one for a few weeks. The Beatles released their two uh, early the the blue and the red album of their um, box sets came out mm. a few yeah. weeks later. So all these out al- these amazing albums keep pushing Pink Floyd down from number one. But the one that stopped it was a compilation album of sixties hits. So <laughs> there you go, Ben, uh, for all our talk about how much we we don't think that compilation albums have a place. <laughs> on list the pink floyd never hit number one in the uk because of it so (laughs) kind of interesting tidbit um to date it's estimated that this album has sold around 45 million copies which makes it one of the best-selling albums of all time which is saying something compared to some of the others i think other albums we've talked about that are near this number um rumors thriller by Michael Jackson, and uh, one that we haven't talked about, but one that is one of the best-selling uh, albums of all time, which is uh, the Sound of Music soundtrack, which is still yeah. up there as wow. one of the best uh, albums. But this uh, it uh, lists with album sales are tricky because it has to do with distribution, and it doesn't always, uh, or it never has to do with uh, resale. Yeah, or or other things, and it certainly it makes it more complicated with online sales and streaming and uh, digital downloads. But uh, so yeah. there's a lot of different lists that say different things about what are the best albums. But this is you know way up there in terms of one of the best. Um, yeah. Even even some of the Beatles albums we've talked about have have not come come quite this close to 45 right. million. Right. Right. Mike, you mentioned a couple times here that it's been re-released, and I found it really fascinating uh, digging just a little bit that it it charts pretty much every time it gets re-released too. Yeah. So, absolutely, you know, yeah, it, yes, it does. It charts in seventy three and seventy five and ninety three and two thousand and three and two thousand and five and two thousand eleven. Yeah. It just keeps popping up, um, and I, I think I mean the legev- the longevity of an album like this is really impressive uh you know it and not just like charting at 198 or something like that on the top 200 but but sort of nudging into um near the top in certain countries uh yeah the most recent release in 2011 um it hits number 12 on the billboard 200 uh which is right. incredible wow. to think about that kind of uh, uh, yeah. longevity. Is one of those albums that just perpetually st- has stayed popular um, on the Billboard charts. Uh, it has accumulated nine hundred and forty-nine total weeks. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> on the charts. That's hmm. that's number one by a long shot. Second place is an album we're going to talk about shortly. Bob Marley's Legend, again, a greatest hits album, hmm. has six hundred and twelve hmm. weeks, so over three hundred weeks short. What's that? <laughs> uh, so six years, <laughs> right? Six years worth of charting. Six years yeah. uh, total. Um, so like that is, it's staggering. It's just, it was just always there. It has another record, 736 consecutive weeks on the top 200. It Amazing. did not fall off the charts until, uh, from when it was released until 1988. So 15 <laughs> years, it did not fall off the charts once. And since that time, and that was 700. So it, it, has spent another 200 total weeks plus right. since that time. So it's come back on and it often has to do with, you know, if now in the digital age, if something is trending or if it came up in a movie or if there was a re-release, often that's when it comes back during a re-release yeah. or a, yeah. a special anniversary. Like we're getting, you know, uh, in three years when we get to 2023, I'm sure there'll be a, a 50th anniversary, you know, release yeah. and I'm sure it will chart again um, because people hmm. just, just want to consume it over and over again um there are certain albums in your collection you know when we talk about maybe not digital but when we talk about cds or lps if if i lost my well i have a record and a cd of this now but if let's say if i had just the cd and i lost it i'd probably go out and buy it again it's one of those <laughs> right. albums that i would just always want to have i've done that with certain albums i lost them or had them damaged and said you know i like this that much that i i want to buy it one more time and and right. i can see people doing that with it mm -hmm. yeah well i thought it was interesting um that uh you know in in the the work up to the to the release of this album actually some of it was um was from live stuff right like they were they were trotting this stuff out to members of the press mm. uh ahead of time before the okay. release and and uh okay well here for example um some some it was just really well received by critics uh quoted as saying bringing tears to the eyes it was so completely understanding and musically questioning uh the ambition of the floyd's artistic intention is now vast musically there were some great ideas but the sound effects often left me wondering if i was in a bird cage at london zoo that was for you ben <laughs> um <laughs> but no, I, I just i thought it was uh i thought it was funny that or not funny but just just a neat way to, um, you know, sort of test out their material, I guess, before actually releasing it. it means it means it was out there, right? Um, now in today's digital age, that that you know, it it was different then. Obviously, you know, it wouldn't have been very readily accessible to everybody. Uh, what what they were doing ahead of the release, so it would have still been definitely a um, uh, a new thing for everybody once it was released to the public, but. But just yeah, just an interesting thing there that they they were doing live stuff uh, um, for critics ahead of the release. I think they were developing some of that music on stage. Yeah, and that's uh, hmm. that's a different way to do things. <laughs> yeah, I was struck the the historic note that that struck me, and you're right, Mike. There is just a, a rabbit hole of information of an album with this much success. Yeah. But this yeah. this really yeah. did catapult them into another sort of stratospheres in terms of fame and wealth absolutely and, and one of the Absolutely. things that they that they did with their wealth was 
be one of the financers of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So without Darkseid, mm. we don't get that place <laughs> of, uh, of iconic film. Um, oh, wow. Which is just really <laughs> fascinating that, uh, you know, we don't get Darkseid and mm. then there's this ripple effect through, uh, through culture. <laughs> oh, wow. It, it, yeah, it's, it's like a weird episode of The Simpsons where, you know, you know, Homer stumbles across a, a lamp and decides to remove dark side. And then the ripple effect of all the things we don't right, get. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing that, that we usually like to mention, and this is interesting here too, is what single, what, what from the album were singles. So there were only two singles released uh, money. And then uh, not until February of 1974, so almost a year later, they release Us and Them as a single. And Time was a B-side on that single, which is interesting because I always thought, I mean, they play Time on the radio a lot. Um, Certainly back in the, like you said, in the, they played a lot. I listen to Q107 these days uh, and back in the 90s and 2000s, they played a lot more Floyd. Um, They still do play Money probably every day and maybe (laughs) Wish You Were Here almost every day. But no, and I'm not exaggerating. And um, and they don't really play a lot of the other stuff. But I, they used to play Time a lot. Um, yeah. And I always thought that was a single, but that was just a B-side on Us and Them, which thing, yeah. you actually don't hear Us and Them on the radio as much. Certainly not these days. Um, uh, but that's a that's another great song. So uh, yeah, uh, totally over don't... five minutes. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it is longer. That's right. <laughs> Snooze fest. um well on that note um any other historical notes guys (laughs) money is six and a half minutes yeah yeah like so i mean and that's the thing money money is a really popular radio song and it's it's not short (laughs) yeah um at all but I mean, it's it moves like it's got good movement. But anyway, I don't want to get too much into that. Um, yep. One thing we we got to talk about is uh, the album artwork. Hmm. Uh, without you know, there's no definitive list because it's so subjective. But this has got to be one of the most iconic album covers of all time. And yeah, one thing definitely. I love about it, just off the bat, there are absolutely zero words on it at all. <laughs> it doesn't say Pink Floyd. It doesn't say Dark Side. Nothing yet. Everybody knows what it's from. Uh, my wife has a T-shirt with this on it. Um, and yeah, she's not really even a big prog rock fan at all. But it's just so <laughs> iconic. You're, you're. If you're walking down the street today, wearing this shirt, you're cool. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, half the people walking by you are gonna know what it is. Are probably gonna smile and nod at your shirt and and give you a nod. Like, oh yeah dark side eh like you know yeah and, um, and the other half are just gonna say hey that's a cool shirt even right. if they don't know what, it is, right? what a neat you know, graphic really yeah. it really sets the tone for that album right off the bat with with even with just with the with the artwork that it the artwork itself is just timeless it's it's so simple um uh it's it's there's really not a lot happening it's just a few lines really um, and then the amount of like, you know, you could probably in any, you know, Hot Topic or, or Walmart or anything, you could probably buy a shirt with this on. The amount of, um, you know, movies and and now uh, memes and different graphics like this will show up on. It's just 
it's just a part of, of popular culture now that everyone seems to recognize. Um, this was uh, designed by uh, a man named George Hardy and a company called Hypnosis. It was a design firm who had done a lot of work for Pink Floyd and a, and a lot of work for other bands as well. Uh, they're the ones who designed it. Somebody saw a photograph of in a magazine of light refracting through a prism and thought, yeah, that's good. Uh, I read a comment that... Um, Richard Wright had said something to the effect of, you know, we want something simple, not too weird anymore <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for their album. Like something just very classy, simple, straightforward. Yeah. Um, and so they went with this uh, on the inside. Um, and uh, actually, interesting thing. So I, rec- uh, Steve and I uh, talked, Ben, we mentioned this. I recently bought a... A 2016 pressing of this album because I heard that the new pressings are, are very clean. They've taken out any pops or hisses, so I I, I didn't have it on vinyl. Uh, Steve has a, a vintage copy which we listened to the three of us together, um, which sounds really great. And I wanted to uh, to get a new copy, so I got one. And it comes with the original, um, all the promotional materials. Uh, Steve, you and I were looking at some of this and wondering if if that was from the original and yes in fact the original release did have inside it two posters one of kind of these stylized pictures of the band with letters spelling pink floyd and the other one is uh an, i think it's an infrared photo of the great pyramids of giza and hmm. and also those two stickers with uh, with pyramids on them with the letters spelling pink floyd those were all promotional materials in the original 1973 oh, cool. release really so the one that i got which is just a few years old uh they recreated every aspect of it nice um on the back it's the same image but just upside down um <laughs> which is interesting yeah. and then on the inside it's the rainbow uh color going straight across uh but the green looks like uh the heartbeat signature like on an ekg um, yeah. that's the inside of the gatefold with all the lyrics and very interesting the band uh, you know the other members of the band were so confident of the quality of Roger Waters lyrics on this album that for the first time they decided to print them on the album sleeve they had never done that before mm-hmm. uh, and I mean it's implying that maybe they weren't confident in his <laughs> in his lyrics before previous attempts yeah but uh, they were so confident in how good his lyrics were, and they are very good, um, in my opinion, that they decided that they would, as part of the design, they would print them on the inside. So all the when you open it up, all the lyrics are inside. So that's kind of some of the history of oh, the cool. of this extremely iconic uh, image here. Yeah, I I want to go back to the um, audio from Abbey Road in which you insisted that that was the most iconic album cover and uh, have you duke it out with yourself Uh which actually is Uh (laughs) Uh (laughs) well Um, I think it was actually Ryan who was claiming that at the time so you're saved at least we had a special (laughs) guest who thought it was the best Um, I I like to say things like one of the best Okay. <laughs> when, when I say when I say one of the best, there's there's no there's kind of no limit to how many that is. So I kind of get myself out of a little trouble there. How very strategic of you. I don't know light uh, patterns all that well, but I I think this 
prism is actually bouncing light in a way that wouldn't actually happen. There's a um, well. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead, Ben. I was going to say there. <laughs> You're about to get scienced. <laughs> <laughs> there's an image of a finish prism, your thought. There's an image of a prism reflecting light in the Wikipedia entry for Dark Side that has the rainbow coming out at a pretty extreme angle from the light going in. Um, but I'm not a scientist, so maybe Steve, you can help me out in in laying down some science. Well, in that same Wikipedia entry, it just says the design was inspired by a photograph of a right. prism with a color being projected through it. So, now that's not to say that they copied the photograph; it said sure. it was inspired by. So, it could have taken some liberties there uh, as to the actual angle of entry and exit of the light beam. I will not comment on that because there are so many variables involved. That's right. <laughs> that's fair. I, I like that. Um, okay. I, I also this week discovered that you can get some wallpaper for your cell phone or desktop or laptop or whatever of the light going in and out sort of uh, into infinity like like you know 30 feet wide kind of thing of just like expanding out forever <laughs> um, it's cool to see some of the ways that people have, have taken this uh, art and kind of pushed it even farther than the artist originally intended and I think yeah. that says something about its greatness. Like you were saying, Mike, it's just sort of a thing. You can pick up a t-shirt at Walmart now with, with this on it. Um, yeah. It's so much a part of our our culture. Um, and, you know, we've, we've mentioned The Wall a couple times. That's another iconic looking album cover that, uh, I don't know, they just have a gift, I guess, as a band of, of creating these things that become pop culture phenomenons or at least hiring the right people to create those things <laughs> yeah, yeah right we hope you'll join us again tomorrow for part two of our discussion of pink floyd's dark side of the moon if you like what you hear subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review send us a message at our facebook page on instagram or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.